Welcome, adventurers. Sarkeesian's unwanted routine has been broken by the appearance of not one, but two groups of suspicious persons. Where will they lead? Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Sarkeesian supposed that if she didn't lose the dwarves, then she wouldn't lose the suspicious group who were escorting the unknown man to an unknown destination. The part that worried her was this plan supposed one or both of the dwarves were competent trackers. And this was a big supposition, especially in the Old Town. In the Old Town, there were only a handful of streets wide and or straight enough to drive a modern cart down. Only two in all of the old town, big enough for two carts to pass side by side. The rest of the streets meandered and wound their way haphazardly between the old plaster buildings. Buildings that had been there long before anyone had any inkling that Jumato would become the capital of the province. In fact, the closer you got to the monastery itself, the more hectic the streets became. When those buildings had been erected, there was little idea that Jomato would become a city at all. Most streets were three to four paces wide and turned so often it was rare to be able to see more than ten paces in front of or behind oneself at any given point. To make matters worse, for every one street of this type in the old city, there were twenty or more alleyways, pass-throughs, or steps leading from street to street to private courtyards, or even to dead ends. Visitors to the old town were instructed by both the train aegis and signs posted at the gates to stay on the main roads, and that departure into the side streets was to risk robbery and even death. It was this rat run of interconnecting streets and alleys, along with the seemingly unending supply of fools, that drew a certain criminal element. Despite these warnings, there were always those that were too stupid or too arrogant to heed these instructions. And as is the way of nature, and the city, where there is prey, there are predators. It was often said in Jomato that each day as much coin passed from visitors to pickpockets as was exchanged via lawful means at all of its many markets. Thieves in the old town were jokingly referred to as farmers, as it was said, both harvested fertile fields. And for the thieves and thugs, no field was more fertile than the old town of Jomato. Tens, if not hundreds, of tourists a day would flee to try and age's patrols or guard posts, devoid of all they owned, and demand something be done. It was rare that anything was not because the trine aegis did not care, were corrupt or lazy. It was just given the nature of the old town, there was virtually no way to track a thief once they had made their way off with the goods. And for every two that were apprehended, there were ten more waiting in the shadows. It would take a force of some two thousand or more to patrol every last street and alley at all times of the day, 
not the 200 or so that were actually there. These 200 concentrated on the main thoroughfares and markets, sending only random patrols into the winding ways of the many side streets. If robberies were nonviolent, there would be no investigation. He read the sign at the gate. Yes, but... He left the main road. Yes, I just wanted to see what the real old town was like. Well, now you have seen what it is like. Get out of my office. Smart thieves knew all of this and committed robbery with a minimum of violence. Unfortunately, Sarkeesian thought as she picked up her pace just a bit to bring the two green cloaks back into sight. Not all were thieves in the old town, and not all were smart. She recalled the man's face who had growled at her, recalled his dull gray eyes. They were not the eyes of a smart man. They were the eyes of a man who thought his propensity for violence made him strong. For the second time since leaving the house, she thought back to her sword which lay beside her bed. Why hadn't she put the damn thing on? She was no longer a soldier. Fine. So what? Adventurers and mercenaries wore them all the time. Ahead, the dwarves turned down an alley. She felt a surge of unease. Though Sarkeesian had grown up very near the old town and was familiar with far more of it than many, four turns into her pursuit, they had already passed out of any part of town she was familiar with. Each time the green cloak slipped out of her vision, she feared it would be the last time she saw them, that the next turn would lead to a short road or alley that would lead to a fork, and by the time she got there, it would be too late, that those she was following would be gone. It was a constant battle between speed and stealth. Sarkeesian moved into a gentle jog to make the alley, paused to look around the corner. Fifteen paces ahead, the dwarves were already turning out of sight again, to the left. She hurried again. Nearly half a bell this went on. A few paces of attempting to casually stroll, a few of panicked rushing, then skulking around corners and turns. Her initial feelings of the importance of this task were beginning to tinge heavily with doubt. Though she had kept up with the dwarves all this time, she had not caught any glimpse of the original six since just after passing through the first gate. The further they went, the harder it was for her to be certain of why she was so sure that these two had been following the first group at all. For all she knew, they might be on an entirely different errand, beholden to some other shifty dealings. At one point, where there had been two quick turns in rapid succession, Sarkeesian felt almost sure her bearded quarry had caught on to her pursuit. As she came round the second corner, she had seen them up ahead, completely stopped. Neither turned to look at her, but neither did they move. Luckily, there had been another set of steps between herself and the two, and doing her very best to walk at a casual pace, she moved up the road and then turned into the steps. She waited with bated breath, listening for footsteps coming back toward her. There were none, and after a tense bar, she went back to the street, peered out, and saw they were moving once more. It wasn't much longer after this, just at the point where Sarkeesian was talking herself into giving this foolish pursuit up, that it all changed. The thought, well, Sarkeesian, 
You have yourself good and truly lost. You've been paying attention to those you are following, not the countless turns taken, nor in what order. It may take bells to find your way back home at this point, was passing through her head. Without much in the way of consideration, she told herself one last glance. She moved to the corner ahead, taking no particular care, and looked around. Her eyes took in the scene before her. Expecting nothing but more winding roads or alleys, she was already in the process of turning around, before she realized that was not what she had seen. All of her caution, all of her awareness, returned. Standing straight, she pressed her back against the wall, and then poked her head out just enough to see. Seven or eight paces ahead, the green-cloaked dwarves were hunkered behind crates on opposite sides of an alley. They faced away from her, observing what was ahead of them. That was its own oddity. Where almost every building in the old town was built immediately against or on top of the one next to it, before them was a building that stood alone in an open lot. The lower floor had no visible windows and a dirty lantern burned next to the one door on its east side. There was a second floor, much smaller than the first, that appeared to be a single room with a window that faced the alley in which they were, but no light could be seen from within. The space around the building was some four paces wide and had a number of crates and barrels stacked within, some sort of warehouse or workshop. Where the alley met the yard, there was a rickety wire gate, two and a half paces high. It was closed, but Sarkeesian could not see if there was a lock. Ahead of her, the dwarves began to whisper to one another. They were far enough away that she couldn't make out the words. But after a brief exchange, the one with the forked beard drew a mace and nodded to the other one, who, after taking a deep breath, nodded back. They crept forward to the gate, and pulling it just far enough open, squeezed through. The odd leg movements of the black-bearded one were exaggerated in their crouched walk. Cinder smiles, Sarkeesian thought, casting her eyes about to find something, anything to use as a weapon. She saw none. Looking back, the two had nearly reached the door. No time. She too crouched down and moved along one of the walls to a recently vacated spot behind a crate. The black-bearded one was opening the door, and then the other rushed in, quickly followed by his companion. The door left ajar behind them. It was but a beat before a shout of dismay and challenge could be heard from within. In or out, Sarkeesian thought, but her legs were already moving. She took no care at the wire gate, pushing her way through quickly. Twelve large strides brought her to the door. She looked inside. Just there, less than a pace from her, the black-bearded dwarves' hands were beginning to move, the beginning of a chant coming from his furrowed face. Magic of some sort, she had worked with several talented casters during the war. But before the spell could be released, a bandit fell upon him, striking him with a curved sword between the neck and shoulder. A gush of blood, and the dwarf collapsed. She recognized the sword-wielder as one of the people escorting the frightened man. A flush of cold ran through her body, followed by a burst of warmth. Though she still practiced to stay fit, 
It had been some time since she had fought anyone for real. Calmly and quickly, she stepped through the door. She swung a hard left, connecting with the attacker's temple. Their eyes glazed, but they began to turn to face her. She followed with a quick right jab, striking square in the nose. The eyes fluttered and shut, and the bandit collapsed. Further into the room, three more of those whom she had seen in the street were surrounding and attacking the second dwarf. He bled from several wounds, but was surprisingly still standing. Past this stood the one with the gray eyes who had spat at her feet, and another she had not seen before. Tall, with slicked back black hair and a prominent widow's peak. That one was standing by the man whom the original five had escorted. In the blink of time it took to take all this in, she watched the gray-eyed man's face go from one of content amusement to confused irritation. He made his way toward her, drawing a ball-headed mace off of his belt and calling, You're the one from the street. Do we have a problem, sister? A grunt of pain came from the dwarf fending off the three. First things first. Sarkeesian quickly knelt, placing her hand on the wound on the fallen dwarf's neck. The warmth inside her surged into a pulse, down her arm and through her hand. Disoriented blue eyes snapped open, and the dwarf sat quickly up, folding at the waist like a straight razor on a spring. Seeing things were not at all to his liking, the gray-eyed ruffian approached, mace raising in the air. Beside her, the dwarf's fingers went to work, faster this time, some words quickly spoken. And then he turned both his palms up toward the approaching thug. Help us out, friend. We are here to save you. And then, pointing to the dark-haired man by the prisoner, You've been betrayed. The man's step faltered, mace lowering for a second. And then he looked on the dwarf in recognition and spun in concern toward the brawl that raged on past them. A breath's time, and then the gray man charged into the fight and struck two of the ones he had been leading on the street from behind. There were cries of anguish and surprise as the blows landed. A beat after this, the black-haired man crashed into his side, swinging a mace of his own while screaming, red-faced, What the bloody fuck are you doing, Sveg? The mace struck the gray-eyed man twice, but he was tough, and he spun toward his companion, eyes red with rage. This chaos was a perfect opportunity. Sarkeesian scooped up the blade of the one she had just pummeled unconscious with her fists and rushed across the room, striking one of those assailing the fork-bearded dwarf. She used the flat of the blade, a stout blow to one side of the head, and then, in a smooth motion, she reversed the blade's momentum, striking with the opposite flat. The bandit fell like a tree. The tide was turning, but she saw the dwarf before her take another blow, drawing blood. He was still standing, but his face was pale with sweat, and he was breathing heavily. As her mind was quickly lining up where to strike next, movement and words came from off to her left, the voice of the magic-using dwarf she had just healed. And all the time it took to snap your fingers, the two additional bandits attacking his ally slumped to the ground, asleep. Exhausted and covered in cuts, the dwarf before her joined the fray with a black-haired man, swinging a weak blow that missed. The gray-eyed man and his enraged companion with the widow's peak were laying into one another, trading vicious blows. 
each as confused and angry as the other as to why they were being betrayed. Sarkeesian rolled around into a flanking position, making to end this. She struck their last opponent once and then twice, but he was quick, and the blows did not strike hard enough to stop him. She could see in his panicked eyes he knew the odds had shifted against him, and he was looking for a way out. It was at this moment that his eyes fluttered as well. His limbs went limp, and he tumbled from his feet, hitting the wood floor with a thud. An odd two beats of silence were followed by soft snores of the fallen enemies. A tense walk through winding streets has ended in a fast and vicious fight. But whom did Sarkeesian ally herself with? Whom did she aid? Stay tuned next week for the conclusion of Soul and Seeds. Hey, it's me. Hopefully you enjoyed the story. I'm very hopeful that these stories help you have that little tidbit of escape from your day, let you get away and be part of some other world and let your imagination uh, soar and expand. And if that's true, if I've helped you out, I would ask you a favor because it helps me out and it actually helps you as well if you'd like the show to keep going. So uh, please drop a review on whatever format you're listening. Subscribe, hit that subscribe button. Uh, and that greatest of steps, support the show. There's many ways if you check out my website to do that, whether that be just to drop a few bucks in Speaking Stone Studios' PayPal or the bigger step of becoming a patron. All of those things will help ensure Tales from the Dungeon continues far into the future. Uh, so that's that. Hope you're having the best day, and please take that extra time, that extra moment to help me out with a review or some sort of support. Thank you so much.